Welcome to the PK Experience. My name is Peter King, and in today's special Independence Day episode, I sit down with Jen Satterley, who's the wife of Tom Satterley, who served in the military, and I thought I'd get this out today um, to honor all the spouses and relatives of veterans and active service members in the military, and to say thank you and give gratitude for those who are putting it all on the line and the relatives of all those who put it all on the line because they serve in their own unique ways that Jen and I actually get into in this call. So with that, uh, sit back, enjoy. Here is Jen Satterley. All right, I'm sitting here with Jen Satterley. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Jen is the wife of Tom Satterley, who I interviewed not too long ago, the former Delta Force special ops guy that, uh, you know, I often mention that he was in the battle at Mogadishu and that Mm -hmm. that's what they made the movie Black Hawk Down after. And so we got to talking, you and I, Jen, and, and I'm like, wow, you've You've got a lot of interesting <laughs> things going on in your life too, and and I've always been fascinated about the spouses of you know not just military veterans, but also you know special force military veterans, and the amount of pressure, and you know that's a that's a difficult relationship to be in, I would imagine. So I I always find and and you know of course when I talk to Tom, he just lights up when he talks about you, and so I'm like ah, I really want to find out more about that you know the the other side of that coin. So here we are. We're talking about yeah. uh, we're talking about you and a lot of the things that you're doing today. So I think the thing that I'm initially most interested in is what is it to be a spouse of a special ops guy, especially and obviously Tom and I talked about you know some of his bouts with PTS and sure. uh, and then and for listeners, um, Tom made a really good point in our conversation to just so that we're all on the same page. It's most people refer to it as PTSD, mm-hmm. and I, I love that Tom talked about it as just being PTS. Correct. That post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's natural. It's a totally healthy thing to do for human beings when they're faced with traumatic experience. Oh, absolutely. So I love that idea. So we, we will be talking about PTS, not sure. PTSD. <laughs> okay. Um, so what what is it like being the spouse of a... Yeah, that's Special complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I make it very clear I was not a military wife, meaning Tom and I met post-service. So he was already retired um, when when Tom and I had met and married. So I have an immense amount of respect. I work with a lot of spouses whose husbands are deployed. Um, I've worked with a few husbands now who, whose wives are deployed. Mm-hmm. And they don't get the credit they deserve. I think thank you for your service should be extended to them, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of moms I talk to um, sometimes have small children, several small children. They're the mother, the, they're the father. I've heard stories that will absolutely break your heart mm-hmm. about, um, you know, my husband's deployed. He's been gone for 18 months. Um, he saw our baby, um, you know, maybe for the first three months. And, and when the child comes home at two, they don't know who that person is. Mm-hmm. Um, how heartbreaking that is for the entire family. Um, I heard a story recently from a child, and and I think it's very difficult to be a child of a combat veteran as well. You don't know if your dad's coming home or your mom. Um, There's a lot of stress associated with that. You have to watch the other parent sort of take on both roles and that stress and them trying to hide or mask that stress. And um, kids are smart, and they pick up on that. So now we're seeing a generation... Um, when Tom and I go speak to universities, those children 
uh, their their father or mother had served, especially um, in that time frame, mainly fathers. And uh, a, a young man came up to me and he said, you know, my life changed when my, my dad had called one time on a stat phone. He um, was talking to my mom and she's making us all lunch and we're about five or six years old and and all of a sudden the stat line went dead. Hmm. And hmm. and she was saying his name repeatedly and then hung up the phone and he said he could see the panic in her eyes, but she just went about making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and just try to go on with the day. And she he said even at that moment, he was too afraid to ask what just happened to daddy, mm-hmm. what just happened. Was it... But luckily, he was okay. Um, there was um, some sort of explosion or something that had happened, which obviously his father had to hang up at that point. Yeah. Um, but it marked him for life, kind of. It's traumatic. It's traumatic. Even it that's is traumatic. traumatic. And, and, and I would imagine that wasn't an isolated incident. No. I mean, no, no, no. So it's this constant roller coaster, I would, I would suspect. It is. Yeah. And it's quiet. It's silent. Uh, families don't like to talk about it. Um, so... You know, we're just starting to see statistics now of uh, combat children committing suicide at a higher rate than civilian children, about mm-hmm. 7% higher. Mm-hmm. Um, they're dealing with all of the post-traumatic stress. They themselves develop post-traumatic stress. So mm-hmm. we're starting to see when we're testing spouses and children that they're showing the same symptoms of, of the, that kind of trauma sure. and stress because it's coming into the home. So we think of our warriors going overseas and, and dealing with kind of the worst situations in the world and the worst kind of people who do the worst kinds of things. And they come home and that battlefield doesn't stay in Iraq or Afghanistan mm-hmm. or wherever in the world they're dealing with it. They, they bring that battle home. Mm-hmm. So we have spouses and children who truly are kind of war victims as well. Well, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of study and research on uh, spouses or, or family members of alcoholics. Yes. And mm-hmm. that same type of, and not, not to associate somebody that has PTS with, with an alcoholic, but you know, my father was an entrepreneur and had a huge influence right. on me. You know, sure. I, I think in entrepreneurial ways, mm-hmm. it, it, the, the seed gets planted and, and what gets planted grows. So um, that's, it, it truly is a service, not just, of course, of the spouses and the children, but the, in the entire family, the extended family, the friends, and, uh, and the type of impact that makes. So you, <laughs> you, you sort of downplayed your service, but you are serving, and, and obviously you've, you've you know, had a relationship with Tom post his actual military service, but there's still incidences, oh, as sure. you mentioned, you know, and <clears throat> so what, what is that like? You know, I think for me, um, I have some uh, personal experience with post-traumatic stress through my own childhood, um, through experiences that I've had. So it wasn't entirely unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience and his obviously are different, but Tom likes to say if, if you break your arm in Afghanistan or you break it in St. Louis, it's still a broken arm. Mm-hmm. Trauma is still trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that our brain processes it is the same. Now, it might not be the same for the way that I dealt with it, the way Tom. Um, and that's why when we help combat veterans, we look at individually because every single person is going to process that, process that trauma differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly it's a daily battle for us in our home is um, Tom's facing his demons um, and there are plenty of them. And when you kind of kick all of that up to the surface, you're going to have nightmares. You're going to have, you know, when I met him, 
he wouldn't, if there was a parked car along the side of the road, he would go two lanes over to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought, we're in St. Louis, what are you doing? But his brain would recognize that as a threat Mm -hmm. immediately Mm -hmm. because he was blown up twice Mm -hmm. um, by car side um, bombs. And so um, it took me some time to kind of understand his trauma, um, have patience with it. Anger is a very big part of post-traumatic stress. It's probably the most dominant um, symptom that we see in combat veterans. Is that just side note? Is that true with women too, or is that is that more of a you know? So um, <clears throat> women in combat have existed, and now it's becoming more prevalent. We're mm-hmm. starting to see more and more women. Um, there's a woman who just passed bud, so we have a first Navy SEAL. Um, we have two Rangers, actually one of the women carried several of the men to safety during it. So not only mm-hmm. did she complete, but she scored higher than a lot of the men. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience is working primarily with men. It's mm-hmm. not that I wouldn't like to work with women. I mean, it's the numbers just, are, are it's just the number game. Sure. Um, so I always have to correct myself, but I let people know that's just my personal experience. Sure. Um, I did work in special ops for three years, and the three years I worked in that community, it was 99.9% male. Sure. It was usually the only woman on a mission, yeah. um, stateside. Um, never went overseas. What to capacity do were you involved? So uh, when I met Tom, uh, we were, I was a director of film and photography. I had my own photography and film studio. I did graphic design work and I got called to do a, um, a commercial for this former Delta guy who was starting a business. And I felt like I had no business being there. Like my dad was in for eight years, but he, you know, he was out before I was born. I didn't know anything about the military, didn't know anything about special ops. And I was like, I'm the wrong girl for this job. And they really just kind of pushed me into it. And I love trying new things. So I thought, okay, whatever. Um, And ended up loving it. Just um, really liked getting to see a whole different side that I'd never been exposed to. And so um, the vice president of that company wanted to start his own company. And so he kind of took Tom and I along, and the three of us uh, started a military contracting firm. I was responsible for marketing, which was kind of a joke because it was all special ops. So I'd always say, can I share this picture or can I talk about this? No, you can't talk about anything. I'm like, then what am I doing in a marketing capacity? This is ridiculous. Yeah, really familiar with the blur filter. Yeah, yeah. Blur it all out. Exactly. I'm like, so really my role um, then became director of film and photography, So um, at that time, they hadn't done a ton of filming. Um, They would usually have a combat camera go into missions with them when they could, when they had the space Mm -hmm. to allow them to kind of come along with them. But uh, what we really kind of brought to the forefront was let's start videoing these guys from the time they land, um, all of their planning, all of their um, meetings that they do, kind of setting up their their talks and jocks, which are kind of like their command central, uh, planning their mission and then going into full execution mode. Oh, so wow. I would embed with them, mainly the SEALs, about 80% of the clients I worked with were SEALs, 20% about Green Berets. Um, I was with them when they landed. I was with them when they were setting up their beds, when, when they were planning missions. When you say missions. landed, you're talking about over, overseas somewhere? Um, stateside. I only did stateside. Oh, sorry, you said yeah. That. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, they would land in Savannah. I would be there. They would unload their um, all their gear, set it up, and kind of be a fly on the wall 
and watch how they integrate and then plan a mission and then execute a mission. And these missions were insane. Like the first one I went on, I my mouth was open the whole time, and I think I missed about half of the shots because I was looking around like, oh, what was that? Well, oh, my gosh. Just so that I'm clear, I'm a little confused. So sure. They're stateside. <laughs> yes. You're, you're, are they there prepping for... An overseas yes, training, exactly, and so they're and so you're filming that entire the, the planning and all that, and then yes. so you're filming them uh, practicing their exactly, exactly. Their, it's it's whatever. so if um, for example, they are um, it's a SEAL team. They're getting ready to deploy. What our company would do, and what a lot of companies kind of do, is is help them rehearse. Mm-hmm. But they rehearse in a very big way: mm-hmm. Blackhawks and Chinooks and. Um, old abandoned warehouses or, or hospitals. And we would have sometimes hundreds of role players from that area of the world speaking that language, dressed in those clothes. So when as they real would, as it's real world as possible. And I'm telling you, I'm an empath. So Tom would look at me every now and then. He's like, are you crying on a mission? I'm like, yes. Because it was as a civilian who had never been exposed and then kind of getting that Oz experience of mm-hmm. seeing behind the curtain um, a lot of my friends are like, oh, it's so cool. You're out with the SEALs and, you know, and, and yeah, it is. It's it's kind of cool to see these explosions. It's not a desk job. <laughs> it's not. And, and I've never been one for a desk job and yeah. wanted to be a National Geographic photographer from the time I was little bitty. So mm. for me, it was kind of fulfilling that dream um, initially and getting to ride in Blackhawks and Chinooks and um, but that faded for me pretty quickly because I started to get to know the team members and started getting to hear their stories and they became people to me then yeah. they became husbands and fathers and sons. And, um, I got to hear stories of, um, just exhaustion, just deployment after deployment. Um, there were times where you would see the feet, like the battle fatigue, on them because they had just got back from a deployment. They were maybe home a month or two. They're getting ready to deploy again. And maybe they had seen some pretty bad stuff that mm-hmm. last mission. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of the times I sort of startled me out of it because, of course, nobody's really shooting real bullets. And I know that the the suicide vests that are being built by these amazing pyrotech guys, it's going to spew out hamburger meat or something. Um, they try to make it look as realistic as possible. Wow. Guys will get tagged. You were too close. You just lost two legs and they have to do triage or we need to get an in-flight helicopter because four men are down. Mm. And so they practice every aspect. And, you know, our guys are really good at knowing what the bad guys might do. So it's every type of scenario you can think of. And, um, you know, one of the guys had set off a tripwire. So we would set tripwires up everywhere and we were doing a large scale mission uh, rehearsal and he hit the tripwire and every cuss word came out of his mouth and at first I was like whoa and then I could see the distress because that would have caused him and the three guys behind him who just got tapped to sit down he would have killed them all he just killed wow and that's where things started to shift for me mm-hmm. and I thought oh my god this is not for fun, yeah. this is some of these guys aren't coming home, yeah. and and from time to time I would hear about that. Oh, we just were with SEAL Team X or Y, and they lost a couple of guys, and I'm like, oh my god, we were just with them mm-hmm. last month, mm-hmm. and so things shifted for me. And when friends are, oh, it's so cool you're going out, I'm like, there's nothing cool about this. Yeah. You know, this is war. Yeah. This is 
this is life or death. Oh, that's traumatic. I mean, <clears throat> I would think on some levels, even though you know it's a rehearsal, it can be fairly traumatic. As oh, you're saying, yeah. I, this is this is this is going to sound so <laughs> pale in comparison. <laughs> but I did, <laughs> I did some cert training. So, mm. uh, what is it? Community. I can't even remember what the thing is. Uh, emergency response team. Sure. So first responder type oh, stuff. Yeah, and, that's and we did. Intense. It can be. I mean, and so some of the training that we did, we were in a, a, a firehouse, an abandoned firehouse or whatever it was. And so they had it gassed, all gassed up so they could, you know, make it feel like it was on fire. And then they had actors come in and they had their fake limbs and this and that and blood and all that and had to set up triage. And, and even though in your head I'm going, I know this is all fake, but sure. like it's way more intense than the average day picking up food at the <laughs> supermarket. So it does take you to a whole other level. But of course, obviously that's, that's what the training's for to help, I guess, normalize that to some, sure. to some degree. Sure. I don't think you could ever normalize real battle, but, um, yeah, it's a fascinating experience. Um, so you had started talking a little bit about some of the, some of the ongoing episodes that you deal with even now with, with Tom. And I, I didn't, we got a little bit off on a tangent, but I wanted to come back to that mm-hmm. because I know a lot of families do deal with that. But for those that don't, can you help us better understand sure. the type of things that you go through? And then we'll talk about, you know, how we can maybe support that. Absolutely. So I think, um, for me, I left, film and photography, which I had spent 15 years building up my studio. If you would have asked me five years ago, would I have started a nonprofit for special ops veterans? I would have looked at you like you were crazy, but um, I couldn't ignore the fact once I was made aware of what was happening uh, with our, with our soldiers and airmen and and sailors, I couldn't turn away from it. Um, Being with them and embedding with them for three years and hearing the same story over and over and over and over and over again yet it all being hidden. I mean, I even had a SEAL commander come to me and and share his story, and he said, what's wrong with me? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if the commander Hmm. isn't imparting this is normal, this kind of reaction is to be expected, that should be part of your training um, going in and coming out, and it's not. Mm -hmm. So they call it the silent war because everyone's sort of battling this themselves. Mm which is dangerous mm-hmm. in its own right. Mm-hmm. So um, when I get phone calls, what I deal with Tom, um, I've talked to over probably 250 special ops veterans at this point, mm-hmm. um, probably 50 different spouses. Everyone feels alone in it. And that's what Tom and I are really trying to do is create awareness that you're not alone in this. Your symptoms are unfortunately like everyone else's who's been through this type of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Unfortunately, about 85 to 90% of our combat veterans who experience post-traumatic stress have some sort of chemical abuse. So um, pills, um, alcohol, um, it's a way to self-medicate. Sure. So that's pretty typical. We see a lot, of, um, a lot of that. Anger is very, very common. And it's one of the things that a lot of the guys don't understand. And they'll call and they'll say, I get so mad at my wife for no reason. Or my kid spills the water you know, on the table and I freak out. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't control it. I can't stop it. You know, We see 22 veterans killing themselves every single day, not because coming back from war is pretty or easy. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not talked about. So I think there's this hidden shame or guilt and then the guilt cycle perpetuates with, mm-hmm. I just got mad at my wife or kid. 
you know, I'm an awful person. I shouldn't be here. They're better off without me, which is not true. They're better off with you healthy. So um, anger is a very big part of it. And, And really when we start dissecting why anger is so important, you look at what was required to do their job overseas. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's anger based. So Mm -hmm. when you look at, there's only two emotions, fear and love, and everything is going to fall out of one of those buckets. There's not a whole lot of love going on in war. Mm -hmm. There's a love for your brotherhood or Mm -hmm. sisterhood. There's a love for each other, but there's not a whole lot of, of love happening. It's a lot more fear based, a Mm -hmm. lot of hate and anger and making the enemy, um, somebody that you could take their life, Mm -hmm. you know? So, when I would be with these guys and they're getting ready to even do um, an RMT or the realistic military training exercise, which was very realistic, they, they sights and sounds and smells and, and helicopters and explosions, and um, you would even see them uh, show signs of trauma in that situation. Like I said, the guy had flipped out when he hit that tripwire, and I, I almost didn't expect it because I'm like, we're in role play here, but. You know, when you think about it, he probably just lost somebody that year. Mm -hmm. And he knew his actions meant somebody else's life. And there was a lot of anger, a lot of anger that was coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, Your brain can't sort of, um, when you have post-traumatic stress, it can't distinguish the context. So your kid spilling water on the table might be the same type of reaction you would have had to something happening overseas that might cost somebody their life, Mm -hmm. that might cost somebody a leg or an arm or a situation where they're stuck or ambushed. There's so much trauma. There's so much intense decision-making happening overseas that when they come home, going to the grocery store or trying to normalize life is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And anger is just part of it because that's how they functioned overseas. They needed that piece of them. They needed that to stay alive. Tom, absolutely that's what kept him alive in, yeah. in Somalia was getting angry mm-hmm. and to fight to stay alive. Uh, th- that transition to me is, is the fact that we don't, this is one of the big things that I got out of my conversation with Tom is how little support mm-hmm. there is for that to me, obvious shifting. Like how do you not, how do you not acknowledge that? And how do we not, fill in that void with with genuine support. Now, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are doing it, so sure. don't, I don't want to dismiss that. And I know there are VA programs and things, things like that, that that do do that, but it just it doesn't seem like it's meeting necessarily the demand that is out there and the real need that's out there. Um, so how, how does that person overcome that? They get angry over their child spilling mm-hmm. water. How... What are some steps that they could take to? So to this is what Tom and I have been really spent the last five years um, with him. He's kind of been like the test dummy, um, and he's been so remarkable at really keeping an open mind and really saying, "Okay, I'll try that." I think that's a huge piece of success is trying things because what works for Tom might not work for somebody else, and what works for somebody else might not work. So we really try to take it individually, but. Um, we've started a program called All Secure Mission, which are online courses. Those are mainly developed to create this type of awareness. Um, and awareness is only good as action following it, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we know smoking's bad for you. And I could ask somebody who smokes, why do you smoke? It's bad for you. You know, oh, I know it's bad for me. Knowledge doesn't create habit change. Action does. So 
with these programs and kind of what we've been working with Tom is him building that awareness. Okay, here's the anger. It's welling up. You know, here's um, a situation where I might kind of take an intense approach to not very intense situation. Mm-hmm. And then he has action steps to follow. Does he need to walk out of the room? Does he need to take five minutes? Does he need to, we, we do transcendental meditation. We do mm-hmm. yoga. Um, we do a lot of things to kind of calm the brain, to calm um, the signs of post-traumatic stress. Um, we've gotten him nutritionally well. So when I met him, um, he'd fully say he was a train wreck. He was heavily drinking every night to self-medicate. He was trying to bury that anger, trying to ignore it, trying to push it down, saying, PTS, I don't have that. That's a sign of weakness. I'm not weak. I'm strong. I'm a warrior. Um, Somehow there's this me raising my hand for help is a sign of weakness when actually it's a huge sign of strength. Huge sign of strength. Huge sign. So once he was able to say, okay, this is what's going on, and if I don't get control of it, I'm dead. You know, he he sat in a parking lot with a gun in his lap, ready to take his life because he didn't know what was going on with him, why he couldn't control his emotions, why another marriage had failed. Um, You know, lying about drinking six or seven or ten vodka drinks a night and just felt like my time in service was my time and now I'm worthless. I have no purpose. I can't give back. I don't know what to do. Um, therefore I, I'm just going to check out Mm. and thank God he didn't. And since that moment, we've been creating the awareness. No, you, you actually have a lot of purpose. You, you have a lot of things to do here. And one of the things we work with combat veterans right off the bat is of course, putting down the bottle, trying to really reduce 80, I think it was like 88% of our, our veterans that commit suicide are under the influence um, so we, of, we, of alcohol, of alcohol. Or, mm-hmm. okay. alcohol or pills. Yeah. I thought I think, I think the pills is, that seems to be an under, uh, there seems to be, and not just with veterans, but mm-hmm. the, the, the rampant increase of use of various opioids. Oh. And I've just started to That's get a crazy. glimpse into that. It's crazy. It, and we we're seeing <clears throat> SEAL teams now having issue with heroin because mm-hmm. they were given so many op- opioids and now they're trying to pull back on that. Well, they're going to look for pain relief anywhere they can. Yep. And it's prevalent, it's overseas, it's easy access. Yep. And so now we've got issues, mm-hmm. you know. And when I met Tom, he was on 16 different pills. The VA gave him three to sleep and two to wake up. And that was very normal. And, and that was another thing that I saw when I started working in the community was here's your uppers, here's your downers, here's to sleep, here's to wake up, mm. here's for your back pain, here's for your depression, uh, here's for your anxiety. And I started reading all of these pills that Tom was taking and I'm like, oh my gosh, the side effects of these are awful. Why don't we just deal with it? Yeah. And so he went from 16 pills a day to none. Um we were able to get him off everything mm. through nutrition, literally eating right, you know. Yeah, he'll go out and have a beer or whatever, but he doesn't drink anywhere near. He knows his limitations. Um, and, you know, we take supplements, so we're really kind of filling that void with vitamins and minerals. Um, so many of our combat veterans completely devoid of the vitamins and minerals they need because their cortisol levels are constantly on, that parasympathetic nervous system is switched on. So they're constantly in a state of, of uh, freeze, fight, or flight. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- it doesn't turn off for them. So mm-hmm. 
the water bottle getting knocked over and it's immediately at a stage 11 anger, it's because they were already at 10. Mm. So we really need to figure out how to get that switch turned off. A lot of that can be done through nutrition, through breathing. We, I just met a ranger who's really incredible who has taken on yoga but has studied it in stress situations. And now he's teaching rangers yoga and, and people will say, oh my gosh, you know, like especially in that community. Um, I came from the art world. So for me, it's everything's woo woo yeah. and frou frou. But, um, you know, it works though. And I think when you could show guys like this works, you know, um, try it. They're finding a lot of success yeah. just from natural remedies, nutrition and vitamins and breathing and, and really getting that switch to kind of flip off. Mm-hmm. And so what we're really working to do with our foundation and our business is, okay, we're going to create that awareness. This is what's going on in your home. This is what's going on inside of you. Now, here are some action steps. You always have to follow it with, okay, here's what you could do about it. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to replace um, like Warrior's Heart, which is an amazing facility in Texas that deals with addiction and post-traumatic stress. We've actually helped a couple guys get fully funded to go there. Um, that's part of what we do you can't afford to go there or you, you don't have the finances, we'll help raise them for you to get the help you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times people just need that first step in the door. And and to be able to do an online course where it's private, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to drive four hours to a VA, um, you could get help, your, your spouse can get help. Um, and then maybe the next step is to get therapy. Maybe the next step is to go to a facility. We work with a lot of amazing nonprofits that are doing great work, but I do believe coming from the civilian world, there isn't enough awareness about what our veterans um, and active duty families are dealing with. Yes. Um, You mentioned earlier at one point that Tom was in his car with a loaded gun and was ready to Mm -hmm. end it. Um, He tells that story and he talks about how you saved his life. Walk us through a little bit from your perspective, what happened and then how that unfolded (laughs) into your relationship. So we, um, we had built a friendship at that time and, um, he was, like I said, in a bad place. He was pretty good at hiding it. Like a lot of the guys are, um, hit it through charm and his humor. And I had no idea. I had no idea. He was battling what he was battling, Mm -hmm. but we had formed a friendship, um, both going through our own changes in life and, Um, really that friendship was very interesting again, because his world was completely foreign to me. My world was completely foreign to him. So I think we were both kind of interested in how we led our lives and Mm -hmm. and where we had gotten to. So he, um, he had gone to the car one day after work. Um, we had just finished a day cycle. So we typically worked at night. That's when the military does their missions, um, which I will tell you that type of sleep deprivation is worse than baby sleep deprivation. As a mom of two, mm-hmm. I was so physically sick when I first started working these type of hours. And then you can really see what sleep deprivation does mm-hmm. long-term to people as well. Um, but we had just worked a day cycle and Tom had said, I need to get something out of the car. Nobody thought anything of it. We kind of all went into the bar. Everyone was just going to get an after-dinner drink. Kind of everybody liked to sit around and kind of talk about what happened yeah. and who messed up and who did great and funny kind of stories. You see what the client did here or, you know, <laughs> what that guy did there. And and um, 
Tom was always kind of the first one there, very prompt. He was a command sergeant major, so everything, he's very detail-oriented, and, and so it was odd he wasn't there. And I kept looking around, and I asked a couple of the guys, like, well, where's Tom? And um, everyone kind of passed it off, like, oh, I don't know. He's just, I don't know, maybe he's in the bathroom or something. Yeah. Who knows? And I just felt something wasn't right. Really? So, yeah, I just had this sense of, like, that's not like him not to be here. And got a little bit of that sixth sense, that kind of maybe um, mom intuition or... Mm-hmm. And because um, I was kind of like a den mom, ended up being like a den mom to a lot of the guys and uh, just had texted him simply like, where are you? Come, you know, come meet up with us. We're waiting for you. And at that moment, he was had the gun in his hand. He was getting ready to pull the trigger and just looked simply just looked down at his phone and saw that somebody cared. And I think really that's what it was, is that somebody cared and asked where he was. So he slid the gun under his seat, um, came down to the bar. Didn't seem any different to me. You know, like I said, he was pretty charming and funny guy. Probably cracked some jokes and we went on about it. And it wasn't until we started dating that he told me hmm. um, six or eight months later, you know, you saved my life. And I thought, what are you, what are you talking about? He's probably saved my life a dozen times from falling down deep, dark holes and um, on, on missions, I would come home with bruises and scrapes and everything. Cause, oh, literal. Oh, literally. Yeah. Like <laughs> falling down, falling down. <laughs> um, you know, he, he's been great there too, but he was kind of my protector on these missions and would hold the back of my shirt as I almost stepped into some places I shouldn't. Uh, I want to follow up with that in yes. a second, but fin- finish the, the. So, yeah, I mean, when he told me, um, it was a lot of tears from us both. Yeah. I think it was the first time he had said it out loud um, and really admitted it. And now um, he could talk about it very openly. It's very important, he feels, um, that he does talk about it, that he does share it. Because every time he does, every time he does a podcast like he did with you, we get messages day and night. Day and night. I'm the same. I feel the same. I almost took my life. Two of his very, very good friends, we had no idea, came out and said, I had placed all of my jewelry and my flag and my letters for my wife and my kids on the dresser. You know, they had gone to the lake for the weekend, and I sat there at the edge of my bed, and I couldn't pull the trigger, and I thought, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And that maybe I'll do it tomorrow is what what saved him, is just taking the time to think through it um, and making a better choice. And, And he's much better off. But this was one of his good friends. We had no idea. And that, that kept happening and happening and happening. So really Tom's story, I think will save lives. I think it's important for him to tell. Well, and he's got, just in my limited relationships with some Mm -hmm. of the guys that I've met, you know, where Tom works and, and similar places, Mm -hmm. Tom has a very unique, uh, combination of that openness you know the sure. courage to to say here's where I'm at yep. and I'm I'm struggling with this and to me that is the deeper strength that we were talking about before and you know I th- I think he really is in a unique position I you know we talked at the end of our call that perhaps his ultimate legacy is 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 this I agree um because he's he's very unique in that sense and I can see him spearheading a movement to let guys know that it is okay, that you're not I alone, agree. 
that it's okay to open up, that it is a sign of strength. Um, It just is in a different format than than what they're used to dealing with. And it's critical. It's just critical and, and it's important. And I'm so incredibly proud of him for having that strength. It's not always seen that way, you know. There's certain people that are like, you shouldn't be talking. You know, Tom came from the most secret society hmm. of Delta Force, which, um, we, you know, we, we've gotten the same, we've gotten calls on the other side of the fence. You shouldn't be talking and you should be quiet. And, mm-hmm. you know, Tom has never or would never do anything to jeopardize his brotherhood and sisterhood. And, and he has a love for the military and, and freedom for this country like nothing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that love comes with, all right, our family has some issues and we need to talk about these issues. Yes. And so um, he's had far more positive feedback than negative. And, you know, people from, like I said, kids who had parents as combat um, warriors step forward and saying, it was so important for me to hear you talk because now I understand my dad and what my dad went through mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Or somebody who um, is still in and is scared about getting out. Mm-hmm. What do I do and how do I transition? Mm-hmm. You know, that's really where we specialize is the transitioning or end of time service. That's our focus because that's where a lot of guys fall. Yeah. You mentioned how critical it is and, and obviously that cannot be understated, but uh, I was just watching a video the other day with um, Jordan Peterson. He's been kind of making the rounds lately. Sure. He was talking about um, suicide and how, how that the people you leave behind it's one of the most traumatic things that the surviving members of a family can deal with and that this isn't just about you and if you think that oh what what is my value what is my purpose i I, i'm not contributing i'm better out of the way Mm -hmm. It, it couldn't be further from the truth i had a call uh that's not published quite yet with a guy and we were talking about legacy and we were talking about wealth and and how to pass on legacy between from generation to generation but what was really interesting that came out of that call was how when one family sets up a precedence of uh wealth preservation of these different principles of contribution of charity uh of leadership of entrepreneurialism like though as we were talking earlier on the call like those seeds produce those sure. deeper roots and and he in his book this other guy that this other author that I interviewed uh, David McIlvaney, his book, Intentional Legacy, he talks about one family that produced hundreds of senators, Mm. vice presidents, leaders, executives, and corporations, and then how another family that, I think the guy was an alcoholic or something Mm. like that, and how that produced a lot lineage of of alcoholics and, you know, uh, criminals, and so when somebody commits suicide... It's not just them. It's a ripple effect that that goes down multiple generations. Absolutely. And conversely, if you cannot, if you can have the strength to wait till tomorrow to take that next step sure. to put through that ripple effect, absolutely has generational impact too. So it is absolutely critical. Um, a lot of what I've been studying in the last decade or so is the relationship dynamic between mm. men and women and, and masculine and feminine energy. Um, sure. And I, I want to, again, just to, uh, acknowledge Tom and his ability to demonstrate what many would call feminine sure. um, mm-hmm. strength and his vulnerability and his yeah. um, authenticity and his emotion and thing like that. But... 
you were talking earlier about being sort of the the, the den mother mm-hmm. and your sixth sense and a mother's intuition. What unique role do you think women play in PTS and, and are mostly men, uh, veterans that are dealing with this? So unfortunately, when you look at statistics, and again, the number of women who are in combat versus men is, is obviously... Uh, the men are far more uh, engaged in combat, although uh, women are stepping into that role more and more. They've always been in support, but now we're seeing women. I just saw a print ad the other day with um, a double amputee army um, female who had lost her her legs in Iraq. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the suicide rate is higher in women mm-hmm. um, than men who have experienced combat. So... Uh, the numbers might not match, but statistically, the suicide rate is higher hmm. for women. Um, the I think the support role of a of a spouse is absolutely critical. I've seen it work in advantage, and I've seen it like, ooh, these two people are not good for each other anymore. Hmm. One's enabling the other, or one just can't forgive the other. Um, and, and it might be better to, to part ways at this time because mm-hmm. unless you can get to a place of full support, um, and it's not always pretty, and it's certainly not easy. Um, I, I, I've had other spouses who drink heavily, who want to party, who want that lifestyle. When I say, if you want to support him and you want to help get him right, you got to stop partying every night. Mm-hmm. Well, I just don't want it to affect my life like that. Well, and you're not the right support partner. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Go ahead with your life, but that's not going to save him. That's going to put him in a pretty bad spot. Mm-hmm. So I think um, any spouse, male or female, needs to um, <clears throat> really understand that they're bringing the war home, and they're bringing it into the house. And, and those tactics that kept them alive have no place in the home. But you have to have patience because that's, for Tom, it was 25 years of that type of training um, reinforced with that type of kind of macho or masculine energy. And it wasn't until he kind of got away from all of it, started meeting my friends and kind of opening his mind to different type of people, different politics, different thought process, that he was able to kind of go back to find himself, Mm -hmm. not this version that he's supposed to be Mm -hmm. but who is tom truly now um and he he'll always be a warrior it's who he is um i love him for that um but some of the things that kept him alive just aren't required anymore and Mm -hmm. so to separate that's very difficult and the women and the spouses i think are our kind of empathy that we have um our kind of caring nature, our motherly nature, can definitely support that type of healing that that's required. I have seen it some amazing spouses who have have really turned their husbands' lives around, and I mean, I give them all the props in the world because they've got a tough job. For sure, I think that's a huge service as we've been talking about, and I don't. That's another thing I don't think can be understated too. Sure. I, I, the fact that you had a, I forget who, who you said, the SEAL commander or oh, yeah. mm-hmm. come to you and, and open up to you, I think is the power of that feminine love sure. that can heal. And, you know, we're dealing with obviously 
very traumatic issues that, you know, I'm no brain scientist or anything, but I understand that there's, when you deal with something that traumatic, there are neuronic pathways that are imprinted in your, in your brain. Absolutely. Such that when you now come home and deal with a child that spills a glass of water or whatever, it fires off those same synapses and you're, you're in that mindset. So Mm -hmm. to re literally rewire your brain takes experience. It takes action. It's Mm -hmm. not just the awareness. So, um, I think one of the biggest takeaways that I've thought about, just not even dealing with PTS, but just in fulfilling potential, how do you overcome limiting thought, limiting belief, even if it's Mm -hmm. not a traumatic one, is uh, is the power of community, is the power of connection, is the power of brotherhood for men and sisterhood for women, and then obviously, um, you know, intergender relationships too. Sure. Um, <clears throat> that can't be understated as well. So I, anybody that's listening to this call who is dealing with any level of uh, either PTS or frankly just loneliness, depression, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I've I've developed a habit that whenever I start to feel that way that there's a few key people that I'm like, I, I just got to reach out and yep. call. And 100% of the time, at the end of those conversations, I feel better. Oh, me too. You know? I have my support systems in place too. I have certain people that... I'm having a really crappy time, or maybe I just dealt with a really tough phone call. Um, Tom would always laugh. He's like, oh, my gosh, you're like a bipolar phone person because I'm laughing one second, then I'm crying the next, and then I'm laughing, and then I'm crying, and then I hang up the phone. He's like, are you all right? I'm like, I need a pizza or something, you know, but I do have my support system when I'm feeling really heavy that I know if I call her, it'll be okay, and I think it's critical to have those people in place. And I think it's just as important to check on your strong friends, Mm -hmm. check on the ones who don't seem like they're having any issues. You know, Tom seemed very strong and very confident. Um, It shocked his friends. A couple of them brought them to tears when they found out Mm. that he was sitting in a car. I had no idea. I didn't know you seemed this way. So it's important to check on your strong friends. That's a really good point because oftentimes the strong friends are of the mindset of I've got got to be the one to hold it all together. Yep. So who do they turn to? Exactly. I, you can't you can't show any uh, you know chink in your armor if right. that, if that in that case. Uh, that's a really good point. Um, I, I think another good habit to have is to have scheduled calls. Is to yeah. not wait for those moments. Right. I have I have found again in my experiences I've just been dealing with my life ups and downs or whatever. There's a couple of people where I just have scheduled calls, yeah. and and so therefore I don't go. An entire week mm-hmm. until I kind of touch base with somebody and and connect at a level where my soul is needing to connect right. in order to feel like I'm not yeah. alone, uh, which kind of gives me a rebound back to you're fine. Just get, <laughs> right. get your get your head out of your ass. And no, that's go. a great point. Is to have that kind of scheduled communication, yeah. not waiting until it gets so bad. Yeah. So I have to follow up on this. A little bit earlier, you said that Tom's rescued you a few times out of a hole. And here I am thinking, oh, what what dark psychological (laughs) hole. You're like, no, No. actual hole. I fell into a hole. So I need to hear about some of those stories. Yeah, it was actually really funny because I would have, um, I would come home and some of my friends are like, why are you doing that? Like, I've had black eyes. I've been... um, they have these things called quickie saws, which are these massive saws they carry on their backs. I don't even know. Like, for me, it would take, like, four of us to pick something up, and they just, like, strap it on their back. And right. it's just super impressed by the dedication these guys have. You never hear them complain. It's, their, it's 110 degrees. They're wearing 
full kit, meaning all of their combat gear, 100 pounds on their chests, not including whatever else they might be carrying, and their helmets, and um, and they're getting the job done, and they're just showing up, and, and so I never, I, I think um, I grew up as a tomboy, I grew up riding dirt bikes and stuff, I'm more probably comfortable with guys um, and being in that community, so... A lot of the guys would say, like, what is she doing here? You know, they would tell. Because I was good friends with all the people um, on, on my work side of things. And they would laugh. They're like, oh, they're underestimating you. Go get them, girl. You know, and yeah. we kind of have a joke about it. But, you know, there would be uh, sim rounds, which actually do hurt. They're not going to kill you. But they don't feel very good when they hit you. Um so yeah, there you know, Another you could do paint, um, paint <laughs> rounds, kind of like airsoft, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get hit pretty close um, and several times, you're gonna have welts on your body. Sure. And so I would come home with welts on my face, scrapes, bruises, black eyes, you know, because there's I would have to get in there with my camera, so I'd be following really close, and then maybe a couple of the guys would turn to go a different direction and I'd get shoved down. There was another time where um, they would wear these really big suits um, to kind of protect the guy who was going to end up being the bad guy, and there's going to be six seals taking him down. So they wear these really big, heavy kind of suits. I felt bad for those guys too. But I had walked into a room with my camera, and I'm like, okay, I know they're coming in this direction, and here's where the bad guys are. And so this is where the takedown's going to happen. And they came in from behind me instead of in front of me. Mm. And I just got shoved literally fell out of the building it was like one of those moments and i'm i'm holding a thirty thousand dollar camera so i'm trying to hold the camera up so it's not getting you know damaged and um that was the time i got a black eye but just stood up and went right back to it so they're always like are you okay i'm like i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine just go you know because i certainly don't want to distract you're never supposed to leave kind of the role-playing Position so, so uh, just so that I'm, you're filming them for for them to kind of go back and pick yeah. apart and say, oh, it's like a ball player, okay, that reviews pitches and hits. You Got know, it. they kind of. And so then, I are would, there different camera people that are? It was me. It was just you. <laughs> it's just me. So you're with the one team who's performing the operation. Yes. And so are, are you needing to anticipate, like you were just saying, like where the bad guy was or whatever? So yes. you're. And so that's where Tom kind of came in. So he would. Um, <clears throat> be heavily involved and sometimes write the scenario. So, okay, we know we're going to follow this bad guy and we're going to do that kind of stuff and we're going to put all the pieces together and it's their job to kind of take all the intel and figure out, okay, what are the bad guys doing? Where are they going? You know, what's this mission going to unfold? And it could be a variety of of different things. Is that Um, something they do real world? Do they have... I mean, don't they have camera-mounted They um, or Yeah, and you know what? I would strap um, GoPros on a lot of the guys, yeah. and then they would forget to turn them on. Or, <laughs> like, you would see it go on, and other guys like, there's a red light blinking, turn that off, you uh-huh. know? And they would go and turn it, which I understand. Yeah. Um, but I got to the point where I would start setting up cameras in different locations. Okay, we know we're in an abandoned warehouse. There's only so many places they can kind of come in. We know we're setting up our role players who are the bad guys in this room. So, Jen, you do infill, you know, catch them as they're coming in. You run down the hallway and, and get into that room. And mm. um, Tom was really good about kind of directing me. And, and um, I learned to say eagle a lot because eagle was kind of the safe word. And I had a red, um, I had like a red chem light on. So I'd wave it in the room so they wouldn't shoot me. But sometimes they're just excited, you know, or yeah. sometimes they're just 
kind of in the crossfire, yeah. which is which is fine. But um, as much Hollywood kind of experience it was, which it initially kind of started. I mean, I'd never been in a Black Hawk before, and I don't even like flying. And the guy's like, "Okay, here's how you strap in." And there's like 15 different places he's strapping me in, and you know the he's going through like the safety briefing and he's like, we, we were in the, um, we were overseas somewhere. And so we had to go over water and he's like, okay. You were really overseas or? Yeah. Not, 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 um, we were in a safe place overseas. I don't know if I could talk about it. So I always err on the side of just keeping my mouth shut. No, that's, I don't know specific. (laughs) I just wasn't sure if you were. Yeah. It was a safe place, but we were over water and, um, and, uh, he was talking about like, okay, if we go down, I'm thinking if we go down, you know, and I'm looking around, there's duct tape holding things up together. I'm like, this is an $80 million aircraft and there's duct tape holding the door <laughs> up and oh my, I start sweating and Tom looks at me. Uh, there's a couple of us in there and he looks at me, he goes, oh, if we go down, we're screwed anyway. <laughs> like He's like, this thing's so top heavy. We're just going to flip and sink. I'm Thanks, like, Tom. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> This is awesome. But, um, I mean, it, it was an invaluable experience. I think to, to kind of have my National Geographic, unfortunately, I, I think I probably took some of my best film and, and photography work that nobody will ever see. But, um, but it was incredible. But I, I truly do believe that I was in that place and in that time to meet Tom so that mm-hmm. we could do the work that we needed to do and that I would have some sort of perspective, mm-hmm. not that I will claim to know anything about combat. I, I don't know what that's like. Um, but to get as close as I possibly can, get to it, to hear the stories, to have four hours of downtime and somebody show me pictures of their kids and, you know, hey, can I call you when I get back from deployment? You know, I'm having a lot of issues with my wife. Maybe you can help me. That's how that all started, was yeah. just sort of having these kind of side conversations and starting to realize, like, everybody's story's the same and everybody thinks... They're in this alone. Yes. What, so. what, what was the similarities between the stories? Uh, multiple marriages or divorces. Mm. Um, that was pretty common. You know, oh my God, I'm going to get divorced again. Or, oh my gosh, my wife. And a lot of it was, and I don't blame her. You know, I'm gone a lot and I come back with all of these issues and she's probably going to leave me and I don't blame her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want her to go, but I don't blame her. Um, which was heartbreaking. Yeah. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I, I have a lot of anger issues. I don't sleep. Um, I can't stop drinking. I feel like I, I, you know, I'll say, oh, well, just try this and this. No, 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 no. I need, I need alcohol to go to sleep because if I don't, then I hear things and, you know, that's, that's part of the self-medication that was happening. Um, I'm on 15 different pills. I don't know what to do. I think it's making it worse. I'm afraid to raise my hand for help because if I do, I'm afraid I'll lose my clearance. Um, or I might, you know, God forbid, get kicked out I don't know mm-hmm. there's no real protocol so people just didn't know who or where to turn to mm-hmm. which was incredibly heartbreaking for me it just was so sad and then I would inevitably talk to someone and they would say can you talk to my wife and I'd say sure you, you know I'm not a licensed therapist or anything but I can just share my oh yeah 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 no that's fine and I would spend hours on the phone um with these women who just are at their wit's end. I love my husband. This is breaking my heart. I don't know what to do. I don't know where we can get help. And so that's where Tom and I stepped up and said, we've got to be a resource for people. Mm -hmm. We've got to show people there is a way to get beyond this. There is hope. You can rebuild your life. You can lead a great life. And 
by the way, this country still needs you. Mm-hmm. Just because you're not a warrior <clears throat> over in Iraq or Afghanistan or any part of the world, um, doing some pretty amazing, incredible things. I mean, they truly are my heroes. I, I didn't really think of the military before I worked with them at all. I mean, I never watched a military movie. I just, it was out of my mind with like most of my friends. I mean, when I would tell them 22 veterans kill themselves a day, most of them are like, you've got that number wrong. Mm-hmm. You mean like a month? I'm like, no, a day. That's more than Iraq and Afghanistan combined. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why don't we know about this? I'm like, exactly. Yeah. You know, why don't we know about this? Yeah. Why aren't we thanking the spouses for their service? Why aren't we helping their children who are exhibiting post-traumatic stress? This is a humanity issue. Mm-hmm. It's not a military or veteran issue. This is really a humanity issue that Americans are facing and not dealing with. Yeah. And again, you said there are some great organizations and we partner with some pretty amazing people doing some great things. But I think for the most part, the general civilian population isn't thinking about our warriors yeah. and our families. Unfortunately, out of sight, out of mind. Right. Yeah. Right. And this really does supersede politics and supersedes, you know. Sure. If, if you have a basic understanding and appreciation for what they actually go through, which I believe part of, um, you know, you look at some of the stuff that has come out of Hollywood, like sure. Black Hawk Down, that's, sure. um, like those help tell that story. So that story needs to be told more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I think we do need to have a better understanding of what they've gone through. Um, sure. what tips do you have for women who are spouses? You, you sure. mentioned, uh, that you've talked to a lot of these, uh, other women. So what, what kind of things do you tell them? Sure. So I actually just was um, down in Daytona, and I did a luncheon for law enforcement wives um, and spent an afternoon working with them. They are dealing with the same type of issues as our uh, combat veterans are dealing with. And really, um, there's a couple things. So first and foremost, I think, is awareness is a huge piece of the puzzle, is sort of understanding so I always recommend books like uh, The Body Keeps the Score. There's a great book called Tribe. Um, we have a list, and we're actually extending that uh, this week up on our website, which is all securefoundation.org. Once I started understanding and kind of researching PTS and finding a common place in it, like I'm not in this alone, mm-hmm. like we are all going through this, that was massive for me. I felt like, oh, okay, it's not what's wrong with us or what am I doing wrong or he's doing wrong. It, it took the blame or the judgment out of it, mm-hmm. and I could just see it for what it was. This is trauma. Um, so I think that kind of awareness is critical. Um, and we have a ton of resources. We're starting our own podcast next month where we're bringing people on so we can start talking and having this type of dialogue. Mm-hmm. I think finding a community of other people to support you, other wives, um, in Daytona, they were talking about starting a, a wife support group so they can all get together once a week and meet and share that type of information and what's working for their husband. Because like I said, um, a lot of guys will try transcendental meditation, which has been proven to help with, uh, medically proven to help with post-traumatic stress. Worked for Tom, might not work for somebody else. You just have to keep trying things, mm-hmm. have dedication and patience to getting to the other side of it because you can. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely get to the other side of this. You can get to a better place. I was just going to ask you, paint a picture for us what that quote-unquote other side looks like. What is the vision? Is it sure. is it somebody who has no triggering? You know, I don't know if that's possible. Okay, so that's... So the piece that Tom and I have found <clears throat> is um, he will always have 
some level of post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in war for, you know, 10 combined years and saw things that no human being should have to see. And I think that's another piece the civilians really might have wrong is uh, special forces was developed to help, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's warmongering or it's this or that, and they have this idea, but truly our special forces go over and we bring medical aid, we bring food, we bring supplies, we reestablish communities. Um, It's truly noble work, but to do that work, you've got to take out the bad guys, the tyrants who are, like when Tom went to Mogadishu, that was a humanity mission. They had starved and killed 300,000 of his people. Um, The politicians say, stop doing that, and the military are the ones that go in and slap their hands. Um, So whatever your political views are, it it doesn't matter. We truly have bad people in this world that are really have their hearts set on hurting us Nasty, and, yeah. and taking away our freedoms. And thank God we have a volunteer force that goes and, and not only tells them, no, <laughs> you don't get to play that way, but to help their people who are oppressed. That was one of the things that, that was a big um, eye-opener for me when mm-hmm. I started to just talk with some of the other guys at um, uh, AS where Tom works and sure. just the, the special forces because of the nature of their work and because of the the small teams that they have, mm-hmm. you can't roll in there with tanks and just go my way, right. my way or the highway. Right. It's, I have to, you have to develop relationships with the local you villagers. Do. And so that level of empathy and that level of, uh, flu, uh, adapt, adapt, what's what I'm looking for? Yeah, no, I know what to, you're to saying. Adapt to adapt sure. to other cultures, to different yeah. perspectives is something that I do think is unique to specifically the special ops guys. Sure. Um, which was fascinating to me. It is, and yeah. they're doing great work, and, and they're helping local villages, and they're helping reestablish order and community. And, you know, Tom has a lot of friends from each of the places that he served in um, as a combat warrior, but you befriend the locals. You mm-hmm. get to know them. And I think that's what makes it even tougher <clears throat> is to... There's a humanity side to all of this as well. So, well, Tom never have any triggers will he never not remember the lives that he's taken or the lives he saved or frankly you know being haunted by the brothers that he's watched die Mm -hmm. um so many of his friends have died in his arms and i i truly try to imagine okay i'm going to take three of my best girlfriends and imagine holding them as they died Mm -hmm. and then just to say i'm not gonna deal with that you know, like, oh, that part's just going to go away. That's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. So for Tom and I, it's not, okay, now he's all rainbows and kittens and life is good and he's going to be a cheery guy every day. Um, we're going to always deal with that sadness and grief. Um, we find a way to manage it and we mm-hmm. find a way now to respect the lives that have been lost and honor them by living the best life mm-hmm. he can lead. Mm-hmm. Um, anger triggers, we have ways to, to deal with that that have been really effective. Um, he he before it even kind of happens, when his switch is already on, he'll tell me, I'm feeling agitated right now. Okay, now I know. We're just going to go separate ways for a little bit. We'll find our space, or he might need to go work out, go for a run, do something to sort of... That's huge that he's able to red flag that and Yes, that's everything, it. is yeah. that awareness, yeah. and then following it with an action, mm-hmm. so that he doesn't say something he regrets, mm-hmm. or that he doesn't fly off the handle. 
that's the kind of life that most people live. You know, whether it's a corporate guy who comes home with stress and takes it out on his family. Yep. Um, everybody's dealing with stress. Everybody is dealing with some level of trauma, whether big, small, or, or whatever it is, we all carry our baggage. Mm-hmm. We all have our pieces that we have to deal with. So any marriage is going to have couples that fight. Mm-hmm. Any marriage is going to have stress. We're just like any other couple now where we have our good days and our bad days, but um, we do our best to step out and help others. That's been massive for Tom, Mm -hmm. massive. And they've even shown a lot of the organizations we work with, once you get these guys and gals who are in a life of service to serve again, Mm -hmm. whatever that capacity is for them, um, that was the first turning point for Tom is when he started working at a soup kitchen. Mm -hmm. As simple as that, mm-hmm. it was get up and go. And he felt like he was helping people. He got to know a totally different group of people. He felt like he was giving back again. And so some guys love carpentry work. I'm like, go build houses for Habitat for Humanity. Re-engage in the community of civilians. You know, mm-hmm. there doesn't need to be this divide, which which there is. You know, military families and military life and civilians and stepping in and out of that world is very confusing and difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't need to be. And these guys who are, are giving back to the community and finding different ways. One guy is teaching music now to um, disadvantaged children. Cool. You know, I mean, his life, boom, it, it turned around once he started giving back, yeah. that, that need for service. <clears throat> so that's huge. Um, as I was thinking about this conversation earlier today, I don't know why this this thought came to me or this question that I wanted to ask you, which is because a, a lot of the – focus that I've had on my earlier interviews and just frankly in my life in general has been, what is it to be a man? What is Mm -hmm. it to be um, a good father, a good man? From your perspective, what is it that makes Tom a good man? What is it that makes uh, a man? Ooh, um, you know, I think what makes Tom a good man and what makes my father a good man are two different things. Mm -hmm. My dad actually... Um, and a very kind of odd thing was he kept his military life very private. He was a cartographer for the Air Force, um, but then worked for 35 years downtown um, at defensive mapping, which I knew nothing about because it was a secret building with no no windows. But my dad was very quiet. He was very humble, funny, and he took care of us. He, you know, My mom worked a lot and had a lot of other things going, so my father really was responsible for raising us hmm. in a lot of ways. And um, I went downstairs after I had met Tom and I saw a plaque on his wall kind of hidden in the basement that said, thank you for your work for uh, his work in Somalia for making all the maps. So essentially, my dad made all the maps for Somalia that kept Tom alive, my future husband. So, um, But I I say that because my dad and and my husband are very, very different men and I respect and love them both for their different qualities. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad for his... Um, persistence to raise us with love and zero judgment. I've never met someone who judged less than him. Mm. Um, I really could do anything, and I knew he had unconditional love and support. That was huge for me. Um, And so that aspect of a man I really respected. He taught me how to find a man who would respect me in the same way he did. Mm. He showed it to me. Mm -hmm. And um, with Tom, what I really think... Um, are some of his strengths really are his his vulnerability, his ability to raise his hand when he doesn't know something. You know, a lot of guys feel like they have to have all the answers. 
time will say, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. What is it? You know, help me understand, help me explain. He, so he has this level of humility where it's just, okay, I don't know something you teach me. Mm-hmm. Um, his willingness to sort of learn and adapt. And again, you know, he really does have such a love for, for people. And I think five years ago, you wouldn't have maybe said that about Tom mm. um, when he was in his really kind of dark, bad place. Mm-hmm. But there's not a person who will call day or night. We get calls at 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night. He will take the call, take it gladly. Um, he would do anything for anyone. Mm. And he truly is um, just shown an immense amount of dedication to making himself a better person. And I think that willingness and open mind to, okay, I'll try yoga. Okay, I'll try transcendental meditation. Okay, I'll try supplements. I'll do what it takes to make me the best kind of husband and father that I can be because mm-hmm. that's what you guys deserve. And and he works at it every day. And, and just having gotten to know him a little bit more, mm-hmm. just with the intention of how does this serve others. Yes. I mean, he's yes. always been exactly <clears throat> outward focused. Oh, uh, that's fascinating. We're we're at uh, about an hour ten. Alrighty. We can keep talking <laughs> if you have another minute or two, but uh, typically we we will wrap it up. Yeah. So, well, Jen, thank you for your service uh, on the record, um, <laughs> and and for giving us the gift of Tom. I, you know, I, 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 there is no Tom without Jen. I don't think. And uh, you guys are a pretty powerful couple, and you know, inspiring a lot of people to contribute at, at higher levels that I think we're capable of and also to um, to be a light. So thank, thank you. you for the work that you're doing. Uh, for those that are interested, you talked about uh, allsecuremission.com, is it? Correct. Okay. You got it. And that's where people would go to find out more about uh, – to- there's different awareness programs? Yes. So this fall we're launching uh, several courses, uh, nutrition and health. That's, like I said, a main component on kind of getting brain brain healthy. Yep. Uh, marriage, we're working with marriage therapists, some amazing counselors and therapists, um, father-son, daughter-son, daughter-family kind of dynamic. So cool. family kind of reintegration pieces. Again, mainly this is for like the transitioning or transitioned or retired veteran, their spouse, their family support systems can all come here and kind of um, engage in these awareness and action courses. Okay. And then allsecurefoundation.org, um, that's where we help um, support through donations, where we can help send somebody to Warrior's Heart or kind of get the help they need. Um, it's an awareness piece, so we have that's where we're having our podcast and our blogs where we're featuring different warriors and their support systems. So we can truly begin and, and kind of open up this dialogue. Awesome. Jen, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Very good.